Do you know how easy it is to sneak into someone's home? To glide across dewy grass in the dead of night, footsteps softened, silhouette hardly visible against the darkness. A quick slice and you're through the screen. The window's unlocked. Slip off your shoes so you don't make a noise. You don't need to bring much with you. You can use the knives right there on the counter. Take a minute to let your eyes adjust to the darkness and listen for movement. But don't worry, they don't know you're there. This is a safe neighborhood. Nothing bad would happen here. I'm Laura. I'm here with my two best friends, Colby and Marina, and this is Grim. like the visual that that just gave oh, me boy. home invasions are my nightmare uh-huh. uh-huh this is the worst season for it too because there is a window True. in my room that we leave open in the fall mm-hmm. and it is very easily accessible by a night stalker mm-hmm. and i don't i don't like that yeah this isn't the night stalker which oh, is which is definitely on my list um but yeah it's uh it's a tough one um, so this is, you know, we get stuck on our geological locations. Geographical. Also... <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I wrote that, I remember thinking like, that's not what I'm trying to say. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> she found some rocks and fossils. That were... oh, yes. <laughs> I was like, why is that? How did you know that's what I was saying? We get stuck on different, I knew. you know, sediment, what is it? Sedimentary. Very sedimentary, good. yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, all right. Uh, well, anyway, we get stuck on themes, too, because this is yet another gremlin suggestion. So I think this might make like four episodes in a row. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but it was actually what I was going to do with the joint episode with Marina. But after digging in, uh, once again, shocker, I found too much information and it was too much. <laughs> so I wanted to make it its own case. Excellent. So, This suggestion came from someone I work with who actually grew up with the subject of today's case. He went to, I think, junior high and high school with him. Um, And so it's it's definitely a personal case. Um, Ready to get into it? Yes, I am ready. I know. I know. Just to say after the beginning, Marina was like, oh, no, I don't like that. And Colby was like, yes. (laughs) Uh, It was actually, fuck yes. Yeah, true, true. (laughs) We're different, but we complete each other. Yes. You complete me. Me, me, me. All right. So Craig Chandler Price was born in Boston on October 11th, 1974 to parents John and Shirley. That's today, by the way. This isn't being released until next week, but it's his happy birthday, Craig Price. Oh, oh, shoot. Yeah. All right. 1974. What does that make him? Oh, don't look at me. 48. Well, anyway, John, his father, was born in Mississippi, moving to Boston in 1965. Shirley grew up in South Carolina and also moved to Boston when she was a teenager. John and Shirley had met through their church in 1967 and marrying a year later. They first had a daughter, Kimberly, in 1968, then a son, John Jr., in 1972, and finally Craig, who entered the world as the youngest and smallest at a modest six pounds, eight and a half ounces. By all accounts, Craig had a normal childhood. His parents worked jobs that allowed them a quality living. John was a manager at Pepsi in Cranston, Rhode Island, and Shirley held down two jobs, clerical work at a uh, at Brown and Sharp Manufacturing Company and was a salesperson at Kmart. 
And the couple were collectively making over $50,000 a year, which is like six figures now. So definitely comfortable, probably still hard with three kids, but um, definitely comfortable. They moved their family down to Warwick, Rhode Island when Craig was four, since it had a good public school system. Um, And indeed, the kids thrived. Craig was well-liked by teachers and classmates alike. He was a bit of a class clown, but he still got good grades, which is pretty good. His parents said he had a gift for making people laugh. He loved sports, particularly football and basketball, and he was always helping others. But he was a bit clumsy uh, and adventurous, which was a bit of a tough combination. His parents recounted times where he'd been injured, like when he snuck out of the house at three and a car hit him and injured his leg, which is kind of a crazy story. Or when he was seven and he was hit by a rock and had to get stitches. So a bit of a, a bit of a klutz there. This makes me think of my mom. I love winter sports. Um, and I've gone snowboarding and broken my wrist and my tailbone. And then, um, when I ski, I skied once and well, I skied multiple times, but I (laughs) tore everything in my knee and my mom was like, I get that you like it, but you're just not very good at it and you should stop doing it. So I feel like Craig's having a hard time with life and should just stop doing that. And instead he went with football, uh, and basketball, high contact sports. He just leaned into it basically. (laughs) Exactly. He's like, this will help. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, But he was a happy, outgoing, popular kid, and he had lots of friends. People liked him. While this was the outward appearance, at home, the reality was not quite as bright. John and Shirley worked hard to provide for their family, as I said, and as such, unfortunately, were frequently absent, as unfortunately is the case. Possibly related, Craig actually had quite a temper, and even as a preteen, police had occasionally been called to the home to resolve disputes. Oh, boy. Between, like, like, he and his siblings? Unclear exactly, but I think so, which, again, like, I was probably a a bit of a rough kid, but, you know, an attitude and whatever, but I don't, the police never came to my house, so (laughs) I have to imagine it was pretty serious. Uh, Another consequence of his parents working a lot was that he was often in the care of a babysitter, and when he was young, and I'm not sure at what age, I couldn't find that, one of the female babysitters sexually abused him. And I couldn't find any specific correlation, but I would just about guarantee this is is why um, he had, quote, dark thoughts about death and murder at only nine. And I just have to assume it's Aww. it's a result of that experience. Oh he also says this is the age where he first remembers some wanting someone to die. At nine? Mm-hmm. Wow. And That's he, dark. Yep. Yeah. And he talks about the incident, why, what happened and why he wanted someone to die. So he had just gotten a new bike and he was going to race a friend as you do with kids. But as they started, an older group of kids started harassing him and throwing things at him. And when he started to ride away, they chased him in a car, continuing to yell at him and throw things at him until he crashed into the curb and damaged his bike. The older kids ended up driving away, but he said at that moment he wanted them to die. Kids are so mean. They are. That's terrible. Yeah. And I think, you know, I'm sure we had bad thoughts of like, oh, I hope that guy dies or, you know, whatever. But it's not, I, I it sounds like it was far more serious and, and literal in his case. Yeah, I've never meant it when I said yeah, that no, at yeah. any age. No. Soon after, Craig fell in with the wrong crowd, which was not really surprising given that despite his young age, he looked like a grown man. He was nearly six feet tall and 240 pounds, earning him the nickname the Iron Man. And unfortunately, he began racking up small charges for things like breaking and entering, robbery and assault. And it was with the same gang that he also began to experiment with drugs with a focus on marijuana and LSD. Not a good combination. No. So how old is he when he's falling into all this? Like 12. Like, oh, yeah, man. Like okay. 11, 12, young. Mm-hmm. So although Craig continued to attend school and he still lived at home, 
those around him definitely still knew him as happy, outgoing, lively, funny, um, but he was changing. So he had previously above average grades. So he's, I think, pretty smart, but they were, the grades were slipping and he began cutting school because he was probably busy doing robberies and breaking and entering and all that. He had to repeat the seventh grade. And he had also taken to creeping around the neighborhood and peeking in on female neighbors. No. Which was easy to do in this densely populated suburban town. The family lived in the Buttonwoods section of Warwick, Rhode Island, which is a beautiful little suburb bordering the water of the Greenwich Narragansett Bay. And they had a three-bedroom ranch in this quiet residential neighborhood nestled between nearly identical homes on small lots. So just picture a really tight-knit, small, quiet neighborhood. Colby, is that near the Buttonwood Zoo? <laughs> I have no idea. Oh, probably. Why would Colby know that? Because this is my neck of the woods, basically. Yeah, I know, but... Warwick. I didn't even know there was a zoo. <laughs> is oh, that a well, I mean, is that known? Yeah, my sister happen. went to college up around there, so... That's all I remember. I'm remembering the Warwick Mall theme song. <laughs> oh, Not okay. the I knew it was your neck of the woods. I just didn't realize. I don't know why I thought you would know there's a zoo there. <laughs> it just seems I, really specific. We, it was Roger Williams or Bust. That was the only zoo oh, yeah, for Roger us. Williams is a great zoo. We digress. <laughs> just Proceed. So anyway, this idyllic setting, speaking, of course, about the Buttonwoods neighborhood, <laughs> not Roger Williams and not the Warwick Mall, is likely what attracted single mother of two, Joan Heaton, to rent a home in the same neighborhood. Joan had married John Heaton, and the couple welcomed two daughters, Jennifer and Melissa. Sadly, when the girls were still toddlers, John took his own life. Mm. And so Joan moved her grieving family to her own three-bedroom ranch on the street behind the Price's house. Price's being Craig Price. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sometimes I forget last names when we're saying, tell, you know, well, talking and the through things. John Price, Craig Price, like the yeah. Price name is just bringing back there's Catherine John, Knight for me. Oh yeah, right. yeah. And actually, there is a John here and John, mm-hmm. yeah, John okay. Price. Anyway, so you'd think that in such a quiet, densely populated neighborhood, it would be difficult to sneak around. But Craig's experience with breaking and entering, as well as stalking, made him comfortable with moving around unnoticed in the neighborhood at night. It was this stealth that Craig employed on the night of September 1st, 1989. Now, what do we say about specific dates? They are not good. Something's about to happen. So he entered the Heaton household by slicing the screen to the kitchen window and landed on a table. And its weak legs, no match for his size, it broke. He was worried that the noise would alert someone, but he continued on. How do you not just turn and run at that point? I have no idea. Yes. So if that's not, he stopped at the fridge to take a swig of orange juice at that point. He's thirsty. Gotta stay hydrated. Yep. (laughs) And Joan, who had woken probably from the initial noise, had also entered the kitchen. Mm. When he saw her, Craig grabbed her, using his weight to overpower her, and he began to strangle her. The commotion woke the girls, who came out to see what was happening. And Joan shouted to her daughters, 10-year-old Jennifer and 8-year-old Melissa, to get to the phone. But they were frozen in fear. Craig grabbed a knife from the counter and stabbed Joan repeatedly. She fought hard, but she was unable to overpower him. It wasn't long before Joan had succumbed to her wounds and Craig turned his attention to the frightened children. He attacked Jennifer first, who desperately pleaded for her sister to call the police. Melissa couldn't get there fast enough. Jennifer, too, lost her battle and Craig moved on to the youngest girl. Shortly after, the house was silent again. Oh my God. How old was he at this time? Oh, 89. Maybe like 15. Mm-hmm. <gasps> Craig went into the bathroom to try to clean up with a towel, but soon realized it was a useless effort. Instead, he wrapped the knives in a towel and threw as much of the bloody evidence as he could into a trash bag and brought it home with him where he hid it in his family's shed. 
Now, since moving to the new home, Joan had made a habit of calling her family, you know, usually her mom or her sister every couple days just to check in. And so when her mother, Marie, had not heard from Joan since before the start of that Labor Day weekend, she began to worry. She picked up Joan's sister, Mary Lou, and they drove to Joan's house. They saw Joan's car was there, didn't get any answer at the door, and decided to go in. Oh, no. They were hit with a putrid smell, and they saw Joan lying in the hallway under blood-soaked sheets. Jennifer was on the floor nearby, and Melissa was in the kitchen. Both children were covered in rugs from the house. Oh, my God. What a devastating scene there to walk into. There was blood everywhere. How many yep. days later was this? Like three, because oh, it happened man. on September 1st, and this was September 4th. The distraught woman, of course, immediately called the police and exited the house in an effort to preserve what was clearly a, a crime scene. In total, Joan had been stabbed 57 times and was wow. also bludgeoned and strangled. That's again, that's crime of passion. Yes. Numbers. Yep. I don't. Mm -hmm. Yep. And she had lost so much blood that her, her cause of death was exsanguination or severe loss of blood. Mm -hmm. Wow. Jennifer sustained 62 stab wounds. Oh my gosh. And Melissa was stabbed 37 times, one of which was so violent that the blade actually broke off in her neck. And oh her skull God. had also been bashed in with a kitchen stool. So as you would expect, police in the entire community were on the lookout for who possibly could have committed such a heinous crime. It had shaken the neighborhood. I kind of like said a little tongue in cheek in the intro. This was a safe neighborhood. Nothing bad happens. But that is exactly what this was. It was safe. You leave your doors unlocked. Your kids roam through the neighborhood by themselves. And it just absolutely rocked people's sense of security with good reason. A young mother and her two children had been slain with no rhyme or reason. And I'm having a problem with the information that he, the, it was a 15-year-old that did it. Mm -hmm. Like, I know that. Other people don't know that no. yet. Um, nope. That's horrifying. Yep. Yeah. Because they are thinking there's this killer, which is true, I guess. This killer's on the loose. What could happen? Yeah, they're probably thinking like serial killer, like mm -hmm. home invader, but mm -hmm. it, it's literally a neighbor mm -hmm. of theirs. Yep. A child neighbor. Yep. Which again, as you said, they didn't know. But they called, they called in experts, including our dude, Dr. Henry Lee. Yeah. Yep. So he noticed a footprint in the blood that belonged to a men's size 13 socked foot. And they also called in a profiler from the FBI, Greg McCrary. He felt, like Colby just said, that they the killer likely lived in the same neighborhood and that he or she had originally entered into the home with the intent of stealing. He noted that the injuries to all the victims meant that the killer was, quote, highly frantic and filled with, quote, sheer anger and rage. Mm. And as such, it was likely that he cut himself in the mayhem. And they did discover there were Band-Aid wrappers in the bathroom and drops of blood leading there from the kitchen hallway. So um, they knew that the killer, they prob if they could find him soon enough, probably had a bandaged hand. They didn't have good DNA testing in the in the 80s, did they? No, they, I think they could do. I think they do look at the DNA for this, though. But I think, I mean, this is only, all this kind of happens in a few days, so I don't think they had enough information yet. Okay. Um, so a few days after the murders, two police over officers were patrolling the area because they had like 20, a 27-person team assigned to this. I mean, they had every single person they could looking into this because wow. it was such an awful crime. And they approached Craig, who was hanging out with some friends at a local park. Craig was familiar to police given the history, but they didn't actually suspect him. They just knew he was in with some questionable characters and they thought he might just have some insight yeah. on what happened. And while they were talking to him, they noticed that his hand was bandaged. And when they asked about it, Craig said he had injured it breaking into a car. They talked a bit more <laughs> and the cops returned to the station. And you're laughing for the exact reason yes. the cops said that. They're like, 
It's kind of weird that someone who has repeatedly been in trouble for petty theft would so readily admit to petty, petty theft. Petty theft, yeah. Yep. Better so, that than a triple homicide. That's so, true. That's you know, good the point. Lesser. Pros good and point. cons really yeah. weigh it out here. Touché. Yeah, good point. I'm sure that's what Craig was thinking. <laughs> so their intuition tingling, they decided to see, have there been any break-ins or reports of break-ins um, into cars recently? There no. hadn't been. Nope. So remembering, of course, that the perpetrator of the Heaton murders had likely cut his or her hand combined with Craig's rap sheet that included breaking and entering and stalking and the fact that Craig lived so close to the Heatons, they began to put two and two together. Seems obvious, but they were dubious because, as you guys noted, Craig was 15. Yeah. So although he's a big guy and literally looked like an adult, he's 15. And they knew that. But they brought him in, had him take a polygraph about the cut on his hand. Um, and that of course showed that he was lying and I didn't get any detail about, I don't think he called in a lawyer at that point. Um, probably should have, but still probably wouldn't have helped. Um, but that alone was not enough to arrest him. Fortunately, not long after one of Craig's friends who had been present at the interaction with the police in the park called in to say that Craig had been boasting about committing murder and getting away with it. Oh my God, Craig. Mm -hmm. So all of this, along with the fact that Craig wore size 13 shoes, was enough to get a search warrant. So on September 16th, police staked out the Price household overnight to ensure that Craig was there and not leaving. Early in the morning on the 17th, they moved in to execute the warrant, waking the family. John and Shirley were understandably in disbelief and upset, but Craig was seemingly unfazed, falling asleep again on the couch while the search was being conducted. Very casual. Yep. And finding nothing in the house, the police did move out to the shed where, of course, they found the trash bag containing towels, knives, and most damning, a bloody size 13 sock. Right, because why wouldn't you get rid of that after you right. stash it in exactly. the shed? Just keep it full river. Yeah, yeah. So Craig was arrested and brought in for questioning. Now, Craig's parents accompanied him in the questioning, and I literally can't imagine how they must have felt because I think they knew that he had some trouble, but... I don't think they ever thought he could have committed murder and most certainly not at that age. Yeah. Not like this. And no. I, I, I'm sure not everybody has watched the Dahmer series mm. yet on Netflix, but I did. And it's making me think of the scene where they tell his father mm. what he did yep. and just like this man is just totally stoic and they leave him in the room to process the information. And he just like breaks down, but he breaks down in the weirdest, most understandable way. Cause it's like, it comes in waves. It's almost like, he processes the emotion, cries hysterically, pulls it together, thinks for a second, loses it again. And I'm just trying to imagine like mm -hmm. the shock that these parents probably feel yeah. hearing what their teenage son did. Yeah, exactly. And and I just have to give them credit because Shirley, when they when they brought him in, Shirley said, tell the policeman what he wants to know. So she was just tell him, tell them what's going on. And Craig did. The young man who couldn't even drive yet calmly confessed in great detail to the murders of Joan Jennifer and Melissa Heaton. Wow. And to your point, when um, Craig's father was listening, he had to leave it and go to yeah. the bathroom and throw up because oh it was just, I, I, I cannot imagine how awful that is. So providing the details I already told you, Craig also explained that he had used, quote, a lot of knives because they kept breaking and that he chose to cover the bodies because he just didn't want to look at that. That reminds me of Colby's case where the judge was really upset because it was like these teenagers were talking about yes. the murder as callously yes. as buying a candy bar. Yep. And that is exactly the case with this. Um, so he told all these details and again, gave great detail things most certainly that the public wouldn't have known. Um, 
So he, the police discovered that Craig had been high on marijuana that was likely laced with LSD at the time. But that, of course, was not an excuse for the violence. And worse, as you just said, he recounted the nights, the events of that night with hardly any emotion and definitely no remorse. So there is a tape of his confession. It was released to like a news uh, station in 2018. I couldn't find a full recording, but I am going to play a clip for you because I think it just gives a good picture of how calm he was. Yeah, and then things just got hectic after that. What did she say to you when she saw you, Craig? She didn't say anything. She was just like trying to, like, as soon as you see me, like, like run the other way, break the other way. Okay. And I grabbed her. What happened then? So I was just, like, trying to kill her. So he, he also has a very heavy Rhode Island accent. Yeah. <laughs> in case those of you out there need a, a translation, he basically is just talking about what happened when he came into the kitchen and he said he grabbed her and then he said, oh, I'm, I was just going to kill her. So very, I, again, that's just parts of clips from um, from the news station. So I don't have a full recording, but it, it's very just calm facts. Yeah. Cold-blooded. Cold-blooded, exactly. The bizarre thing is he himself, he's, I think he said things got hectic, mm-hmm. but he's describing it so mm-hmm. like stoically even keeled and it, it, it's weird because like his words don't match how he's saying That's them. so mm. true. Yeah. Very weird. So I was glad I was able to find some of that. Um, I think I, I did read, even though I couldn't find the recording part of it, that that was, although it was calm, it wasn't really offensive or anything, but he... I. It, I saw reports of him kind of mimicking how the girls sounded when they died. And it, I think the full, that's probably why the full recording isn't out there. Um, but I think it's, it's pretty rough, but so guys, that was not all that Craig told police during his confession. Uh Oh, Oh no. On July 27th, 1987, Rebecca Spencer was home alone. Becky, as she was known by was a single mother of two but had sent her eight-year-old son, Stephen Jr., and four-year-old daughter, Danielle, to spend the night with their father so she could work on packing. She was renting a three-bedroom ranch with her brother, Carl. Their lease was up at the end of the month, so she had been preparing to move into a new house in a new area in just two days, and it was difficult to make much progress with two young kids running around. So her ex-husband had picked up the kids early, and she had gotten a lot done throughout the day with the help of a close friend. That evening, Becky felt satisfied with what they'd completed. She had most of her belongings in boxes, and she and her friend had dropped them off in storage. Becky made dinner for her friend and Carl around 6, and Carl left for his night shift as a security guard at 8.30, just as Becky's friend's boyfriend arrived. The three ran some errands, beginning, of course, with ice cream, because that's what you do, then going to pick up cigarettes and stopping at the boyfriend's house to check on the dog and just, you know, out and about. After they returned back to Becky's, they chatted a bit more, but Becky was exhausted from the long day of packing, and the friends left by 11.30. Relieved, Becky changed for bed and then sat down to watch a bit of TV and unwind. She ended up falling asleep on the couch in the house that was just two doors down from the prices. In the early morning hours of July 28th, 13-year-old Craig snuck in through the back door that had been left ever so slightly ajar. He silently walked through the kitchen, first grabbing, grabbing a frying pan and then a 10-inch kitchen knife. Who knows what was going through his mind when he walked into the living room and stood over Becky, watching her sleep. But before she could wake up, Craig suddenly and violently stabbed her 58 times, puncturing her heart, liver, lungs, 
face and head. As abruptly as the murder began, it was over. He left her in a pool of her own blood, returning home without anyone the wiser. There were no screams. Becky had never woken up. But even if she had, the 5'4", 142-pound, 27-year-old woman would not have stood a chance. I'm having I'm having the hardest time with this. I really am. Mm-hmm. Especially because I did juvenile parole hearings. When they changed the law that said that, you know, kids don't process information and, and mm-hmm. don't un- really truly understand the consequences of their action until they're between the ages of 23 and 25. I'm having a really hard mm-hmm. time with this like cold-blooded, methodical yep. 13-year-old murderer because yep. this isn't one of those things where, you know, you're joyriding with your friends and yep. you think it'd be funny to rob a convenience store right, and somebody right. gets shot and like nope. you didn't think about that. This is like he's going in there to murder her. Yep. And hold those thoughts because we will talk a little bit about you are not the only one that feels that way. Oh, did he get tried as an adult? No. Oh, Oh. so we're going to talk about that. Oh, he's out, isn't he? Oh, boy. We're going to talk about it. This is like evil baked in to this. Like he is is evil incarnate. People thought that's what Karen Aparo was. Like, move over, Karen. Here's Craig. (laughs) And it it is because I, I included his childhood because, and this is what my coworker said, it, he was known as, again, successful, great at sports, super funny, well-liked, even in early high school before this happened. So, and that was as things were starting to go downhill with like the, being in with the wrong crowd, but so many people fall in with the wrong crowd. And unfortunately, a great number of people are sexually abused in some way as children, which is horrible, but they don't go and stab people a total of what, 300 times across yeah. that many people. And his behavior escalated quickly. Like yes. n- normally it's a slow burn uh-huh. up into adulthood where yep. they're in a, a, a slow decline mm-hmm. in their behaviors. No. He went for it. Yep. Um, so unfortunately in, in the case of Becky, Carl, her brother was the one to return home from work the next morning Ugh. to this nightmare. And as soon as he saw Becky's bloody ravaged body, he called 911, obviously, and despite knowing that she was dead, he tried to revive her, which just Aww. breaks my heart. Heartbreaking. Despite Carl calling 911 immediately and the police following all the appropriate procedure, Becky's murder would go unsolved for two years until the Heaton murders when police recognized, of course, the similarity yeah. of the homicides. However, aside from that, they had nothing to go on until Craig confessed that he was also responsible for this murder. So he literally went in was pulled in for questioning, confessed without any persuasion to the Heaton murders. And then later in the day, because I do think they asked about it during questioning and he kind of didn't say anything. And then later in the day, admitted to these to this murder as well. That's so crazy. He may have just gotten away with it had he not just decided uh-huh. to confess to it. Yep. Yeah, because how would you ever suspect him? Um, he he would have been and 13. And although he had a record, I, I doubt that they had, well, maybe they had DNA, but I don't know. It was crazy enough for a 15 year old to do it. Uh-huh. They wouldn't be like, oh, a 13 year old. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So now I read it to you guys backwards, but in this case, the police did already know when he was arrested at 15, they knew of the other murder, of course. Mm-hmm. So sure. now they kind of had a bit, a bigger picture. Is that how time works? No. <laughs> <laughs> So in Craig's confession, he says he targeted Becky's house because a week before Carl had driven by him while he was on his bike and yelled at him. Not the same situation as, as the kids harassing him. So he watched where Carl's car went and noted the house. Carl says this never happened. He never yelled at him. Nothing happened like that. Um, and Craig says not only did that happen, but it happened again that day and this time with deadly consequences. Craig said, quote, 
With every fiber of my being, I wanted nothing more than to kill. I simply could not banish from my mind the fact that I not only wanted to kill, but had to kill. And so the night of the 27th, my mind was made up to murder. So he had actually initially planned to take his aluminum baseball bat, hide in the bushes outside the house, and, quote, smash their skulls. Mm -hmm. But when he arrived at the house, Carl's car wasn't there because he was at his night shift job. So Craig had almost changed his mind, but then he went back home, got a little high, and was like, yep, I'm going to do it. Also, what is he smoking? Because, like, 99% of the stoners that I know, like non-violent people like they're more like man what do you think the meaning of life might be (laughs) they're not like let's go end lives and i don't think lsd certainly makes you hallucinate of course but i it's not like it's pcp no you know what i mean like which is actually where my brain originally thought because i was like oh that would explain the extreme violence but nope this is this is like he consciously made these decisions and then just got like amped up on drugs mm-hmm. to like almost I, I have to think like enhance the experience for so. himself. It's weird because although you can listen to the quote I just read from him, it sounds very intentional, but it, I can't imagine it was. I feel like he must have been almost like an out of body experience doing this. And you almost think about when you're young, I can imagine you just like to your point marina about like you just don't know the consequences or severity or like i could imagine that being the case that like yeah of course he understands what it means for someone to die but barely you know at that age i don't know i'm not making excuses it's just i think you have a developing mind that's being messed up by drugs and potentially you know um that horrible experience as a child and it's just again not an excuse for it but um just something something wrong in there I think this is also a lesson to us all. This is why I am nice to everyone. I do mm. not engage in road rage. Yeah. I do not make faces or comments <laughs> to people in the store. Colby I'm, is I'm dying first yeah. in this group. <laughs> why do you think I'm going to be the one that dies? Your why don't you think I'm going to kill somebody? Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> it's uh, the other way around, actually. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're. she's the one you have to watch out for if you have road rage against mm. her. Yeah. I know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nah, I, 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 I try not to have road rage because driving to work, I'm paranoid. I'm going to have road rage against something that I'm then going to see in the office. That's one of my <laughs> biggest fears. Like, what if you're driving along and you flip somebody off and then you're like, oh, hello, in the elevator, <laughs> like if I'm meeting with them later. Like, Learn how to drive and maybe that won't be our first interaction of the day. Yep. Yep. No, but, but Carl yells at him on his bike and, yeah. and then his sister dies because exactly. of it. I mean, you just don't no. know. No. You don't know who you're dealing with right. in society. Yep. I have gotten better. Like when Michael beep at people and he cuts them off, I'm like, mm, it's not worth it. Yeah. Yeah. I just want them to know. Oh, yeah. I want them to know that they've offended me. Deeply. I don't think Steve's always like, oh, are you going to, you think you're going to change them? I'm like, no, but I want them to know I'm upset. Yeah. <laughs> it makes me feel better. Okay. Anyway. Do you shake your fist at them too? I talk a lot out loud. I actually try not to have outward movements, but I, I yell <laughs> so that it's out of me, but this. it's not. Yeah. <laughs> So Colby's giving the middle finger. <laughs> Both of them. Both of them. Up and down. Up and down, yeah. Oh, gosh. Okay. It's like a dance. And if anybody ever called me, I'd be like, man, I'm just, I'm just vibing Feeling to the, the music. radio. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, that was a good little, that was On a good palate radio. cleanser. Yeah. There you go. Thank you. Okay. All right. Back to it. So Craig said he originally thought of robbing the house and burning it down with Becky inside. Oh, boy. But decided that wouldn't work since he didn't have matches and didn't know where to find them in an unfamiliar house. And then in his own words, quote, silence blended back into my mind. I listened, transfixed by the silence, and let the parade of memories march away into the darkness. 
I can remember being drawn into the throbbing blue light the television was giving off. A strange sense of awareness settled upon me, and with this awareness came raw and savage sense of outrage that completely consumed me. It was time to kill. He said that? Mm-hmm. That sounds like a poem from Edgar right? Allan Poe. This wasn't, I don't believe that was from like 13. I think, so spoiler alert, he's in jail. Um, and it, I think it's from much later. But, okay. Yeah. I, I thought this was part of his confession. Yeah. A 15 no. year old. That's why I, I was clarifying. drawn no, I don't into think the so. throbbing. It's very eloquent. You're right. Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah. Daily Poe. <laughs> <laughs> this has been your grim Edgar Allan Poe quote of the day. <laughs> oh, we get Marina's announcer. <laughs> it used to be. Now, this is a different kind of episode because we've gotten Colby singing mm-hmm. and Marina's announcer voice. It used to just be Marina singing. I've occasionally sang yeah, yeah, back up. Yeah. To and I sang again, too. So we're Okay, again. there's a lot of singing. Got it covered. <laughs> Laura's got to sing next, though. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So now, due to the number of victims, so if you were counting, it's four total, an extreme violent nature of the murders, which, of course, is the high number of stab wounds, excessive force, and the length of time between them. So it was two years between the murders. Um, so that was a quite a bit of cooling off period. It wasn't just a frenzy back to back to back. Not only is Craig Price considered a serial killer, but since he was only 13, he is America's youngest serial killer, which I didn't know that is still true today. Yep. And I think it's incredible that none of us had heard of him prior to this Gremlin suggestion. Especially given where we grew up. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. I've never heard of him before. Yep. And when I Googled him, like, to start the case, everywhere. I just, it never, I never had heard of it. Huh. Thanks to the incriminating evidence at the Heatons and Craig's confession to all four murders, it was clear he was going to be found guilty. However, since he made all of these confessions before his 16th birthday, he was tried as a juvenile. Okay, I need to I need to consult an attorney on this one here. So, Marina, is there like an age where you cannot try somebody as an adult because they're so young? I'm raising my hand because I researched this. Oh. And the law, that's good because the laws have changed yes. over the years. Um, so there are 13 states in which there is no minimum age. Mm. Now, practically speaking, if a two-year-old, this is going to be a weird conversation. <laughs> if a two-year-old committed murder, do I think that's going to be, I don't, I don't really know what happened. Um, but there are 13 states at which there is no minimum it wouldn't be murder because they couldn't form intent at two years old. Yeah, law. I where's would, I would assume. Where's the well, line though? Like when I, can yeah. you like and that five has, six? That has been the great debate. They mm-hmm. have gone back and forth. I don't know what the law was mm-hmm. at this time, but um, yeah. a lot of states have had trouble drawing the line before 18 or they'll Mm -hmm. say if they're 15 or 16 they can try them as adults depending on the severity of the Mm -hmm, crime mm -hmm. so we're gonna basically the rest of this this episode is actually talking a lot about this exact scenario because this is the dilemma they're put in Mm -hmm. because not only the so the crimes happened at 13 and 15 and he admitted or confessed to all of this right before 16 now in rhode island um the state law at the time that this happened was that the maximum sentence, regardless of the crime, was jail time until his 21st birthday. And after that, he'd be released and his record sealed like it never happened. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it wasn't even actually jail. By the way, I use jail and prison interchangeably as a layperson, And I don't think that's correct. Is that? Are, they're, they're different. They are different. The definition varies typically. 
If you are serving a year or less, you go to jail. If oh. you are serving a year or more, you go to prison. He was not in either of those. Um, so the the maximum sentence of this five years for him because he was 16 uh, is in a juvenile training facility. So it wasn't, I mean, it's locked down, has security and all that, but it wasn't jail or prison. Mm-hmm. Uh, so obviously people were outraged at this, but as we were just starting to talk about, this is, these laws are in place because if you have a child whose brain isn't developed, like, do they, it's a huge moral dilemma because do they really get to have to be put in jail or prison for the rest of their lives for something they did when they, their brains weren't developed. But then also like in this case, you have a literal serial killer who intentionally killed four people Mm -hmm. with no mistake, not an accident, very intentional. So huge, huge moral dilemma. Um, and, you know, I, I think especially the fact that he had, if he had been convicted just literally a month later at this time, he would have probably been in, he would have been tried as an adult and been in jail for life, likely without parole. So it caused quite, quite a stir. I'm sure it did. Yeah. Not only did people feel like Craig was not going to be appropriately punished for his actions, but on top of that, given his lack of remorse and the nature of the crimes, they thought it was very likely he would kill again. That's Mm -hmm. what's getting me is that he is the perfect candidate to be a repeat offender because one, he already has done it. Two, he's shown no remorse for his crimes and he he talks about it like it's kind of like saying like, yeah, I opened the front door to my house. Like it's like such Mm -hmm. a non-event to him. Yep. So people decided to do something about it. Leading these efforts were Joan Heaton's mother and sisters, that's Marie and Mary Lou, Captain Kevin Collins, who led the investigation on the Heaton murders, and Assistant Attorney General Jeffrey Pime. They managed to pass the O'Neill Bill in 1990, which was just months after Craig's arrest. And I don't know that much about legislation, but I'm pretty sure passing a bill in months is like outrageously fast. Mm-hmm. Seems fast. Yep. And so that that bill allowed juveniles to be tried as adults for serious crimes like homicide, which is what you mentioned earlier. Wow. So again, this type of law seems to be uncommon. Only 13 states have this in place right now, and that's Alaska. By the way, Alaska, where are you at? Um, yeah. I, this is really not the time and place for this, but I'm going to say it now because <laughs> it just reminded me. We have 49 out of 50 states. And Alaska, you're still missing. Does anyone know anyone in Alaska? Because well, or just, let them know. just go to Alaska, guys, and, and just oh, play yeah. for like one minute, yeah. one episode, yeah. and you right. will be the number yeah. one gremlin forever. Yeah. <laughs> Might get a shirt. Okay. Uh, so anyway, Alaska, uh, Delaware, Florida, Hawaii, Idaho, Maine, Maryland, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and that was not 13 because I missed a row. South Carolina, Tennessee, West Virginia, and now Rhode Island. Now, had this law been in place when Craig was arrested, as I said, he probably would have ended up in jail for life without parole because he would have been tried as an adult, but they could not apply this retroactively. I was going to gonna ask yep. if there was an issue with the ex post facto application. That's exactly what I was going to say. Mm-hmm. In those exact terms yep. <laughs> as well. I know. <laughs> no, but that is it. So he was still on track to be released in October of 1994. But Attorney Pine did not give up. He became the Attorney General in 1992 and managed to pass the Craig Price Bill in 1994. (laughs) Not to be too specific. They're like, this may or may not be driven entirely (laughs) off of one person, Craig Price Bill. Oh, just you wait till we get to the next section. Yes. Um, And so that bill allowed judges to consider criminal records when deciding if someone should be committed to a psychiatric facility. So in this case, if a judge is looking at, should he go to a psychiatric facility, they can see that he committed four very, very aggressive murders. Okay. So the court had ordered psychological testing for Craig, 
And this new legislation effectively gave Craig no way out. If he agreed to a psych exam, he could be sent to a psychiatric hospital possibly for the rest of his life because now this is at the judge's discretion and they can consider his criminal history. But if he continued to refuse having a psych exam, he could be found in contempt of court. Obviously not going to jail for life for that, but still an issue. So additionally, during all of this, Marie, Mary Lou, and Kevin Collins established Corp. So if you thought the Craig Price bill was very specific... Corp stands for Citizens Opposed to the Release of Price. <laughs> so it may sound really specific, um, and it is. The entire point of this nonprofit was to make the public aware of Craig's crimes and fund lobbying efforts to change legislation to keep him and others like him behind bars. Good for them. Good for this family for mm-hmm. doing something and like rallying the community mm-hmm. around them. I'm having such a hard time. I'm really, yeah, I'm having, I know. That's I'm, the moral I'm dilemma. facing the moral dilemma I am because I do feel very strongly about the scientific research that has come Mm -hmm. out about children not understanding the consequences. But I do not think like everything else in the world, there are always exceptions to the rule. And how do you know whether or not Yep, Craig Price is one of them. I'm having a hard exactly. time. He, he, to me, I, I'm not having as hard of a time, and it could be because I do not have my own children. Mm. Um, well, I have furry children, not to offend <laughs> them. Um, but to I just, them. it feels very much to me like this was a person, whether or not he understood the long-term ramifications mm. of his actions, he said he wanted to kill from the time he was yep. nine years old. Yep. I don't care if his brain is underdeveloped. This is a person who Mm -hmm. is a danger to society Mm -hmm. and should not be released into the general public. And then I have my issue where I, I have a hard time when we, we or others get upset when someone is released and it's like, well, that's kind of the whole point of the judicial system. Mm -hmm. Like the whole point is you go in, you are judged and you have a sentence for the crime you committed and then you pay those debts and then you should be whole with the community. Like you are back in and done. Sure. So I have an issue with like, at what point is the punishment correct? At what point, like, who is deciding the debts? And I understand there's an entire system of law for this, but that's where the issue is. Because at the end of the day, people make laws and laws are created through lobbying like this. So I just, I have a, a really mm-hmm. hard time. I'm, I'm with you. I think it's a huge dilemma. Six years for four lives lost doesn't feel right to nope. me, especially yeah. given yep. that two of those lives were younger than him mm-hmm. when he took them. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, Yep. I, I don't care. I don't yeah. care that he was 13. I, I don't care that he was 15. I think yeah. he deserves to rot in prison forever. Yeah, that's how Corp felt also. Um, you could have joined that. I would have joined Corp had um, I known about it. Do they have, <laughs> do they have buttons? They pro- Oh, definitely. This was the early 90s. They definitely had buttons. Definitely had yeah. buttons. So one of the events, they actually were pretty crazy. One of the events that they arranged was former President Clinton had arrived to Providence, Rhode Island in May of 1994, and they organized a protest of demonst- with demonstrators including an airplane with a banner trailing it reading alert killer of four craig price moving here wow so clinton did actually acknowledge it and basically saying he was dismayed that craig would be released so soon and then ended up turning it into a political stance which is fine so that was still to be determined whether craig was going to be released or not because just a few months later craig was charged with one count of simple assault as well as extortion from threatening to injure a corrections officer when the officer had given craig a disciplinary report mm-hmm. to sign mm-hmm. for the possession of contraband yeah guys see i don't care that yeah. he's a child it's, he's it's just gonna get bad worse. to the core it's gonna just get bad worse. some yep. people are bad he bad so the trial for that charge which obviously the prosecution hoped would result in more jail time began on october 3rd 1994 just literal days before his scheduled release so his release would have been his birthday october 11th 1994 is he about to get a disproportionate sentence for this ticket at at this point 
I will say everything was riding on this trial. Like people were definitely treating this as the murder trial that didn't happen. Um, so during the trial, the officer tested that Craig had verbally attacked him saying he would quote snuff him. If he ever returned to work, there were witnesses. He definitely did it. And then Craig himself took the stand. I have no idea again, why his lawyers allowed this. He should not have taken the stand because in cross-examination, he just lost his shit saying everyone lied to get him in trouble. He said he was the only honest person to sit on the stand. Unsurprisingly, the jury found him guilty and mm -hmm. he returned to jail to await sentencing. His sentencing trial was December of that year. And the judge who had definitely seen Craig's propensity for violence firsthand sentenced him to 15 more years, seven to serve, eight suspended. Now, Marina's making a face. I'm assuming, I obviously don't know generally what sentences are like for certain crimes. It, does that seem like a huge sentence was for that crime? The assault on the officer, he he pushed him? I, I don't even think he did. I think it was verbal he assault. threatened him. Yeah, that seems, that seems like a lot to me. That's what I thought. Yeah. What's the eight years suspended mean? What's that part? So he, he has 15 years hanging over his head. He oh. only has to serve seven right now. But if he screws up again or if he gets out and screws up and yep. while he's on, drop the hammer. And he, he has the rest of that sentence that they can impose okay. on him. Might you say that it was suspended over his head? It was. <laughs> uh, okay. So then I do agree that 7, 15, however many years he's serving for the verbal assault of this corrections mm -hmm. officer is a lot. But it feels to me like somebody's compensating for oh, the totally. fact that they can't charge yep. him for murder again because yep. he was already he already went through trial uh-huh that is a theme um and he actually so i didn't quite understand this and i i didn't do an in-depth research of this but he wasn't actually on trial for murder when he was originally sentenced like and maybe this is what you were saying marina when it's the when you're trying someone as a juvenile you can't try them for murder i wonder if that was the case here he did not go on trial for murder oh i don't know what the difference in charges is i've never I've never gotten this, that far. This is when I'm reminded that I did indeed not go to law school. <laughs> I, I went actually. to law school, but I didn't actually practice juvenile yeah, yeah. law. The juveniles that I was yeah. dealing with were tried, were juveniles tried as adults. Yeah. So they were oh. getting adult charges lobbied yeah. against them. But I wonder if it was that, because I remember reading specifically, and I didn't include it because there was a lot around it I didn't understand, but that he was not actually tried for murder. Mm. He was not on trial for murder. And yeah, that's just because so. he was in juvenile yeah. court. So now what I also don't understand because I understand kind of double jeopardy. So in, in that you can't be charged twice for the same crime. I don't know it, because he was punished and charged for something related to this crime. Is it still considered double jeopardy? If you like, could they later, but they can't cause it happened when he was a juvenile. Okay. I mean, and they're using, they're using yeah. the same facts. You, that, so it'd still be, it, even if they magically the same, could. Yeah. Okay. Right. It's the yeah. same charge. I really love this stuff. I know this is probably more than our good ones wanted to know about this, but I just think it's really interesting. My, my defense attorney senses are tingling. Did he not appeal a 15 year sentence for a verbal assault of a CO officer? Interesting. Or a I CO? read nothing about that. There were, there were appeals later, but I did not read anything with that. That's an like interesting an point. Excessive sentence. I also, I think there was, I don't, I don't want to shit on his lawyers, but I'm, I'm still, I am going to shit on them for allowing him to go on the stand. Cause I just don't understand why they did that. But there's also a point. So, so remember uh, he had the court order to complete a psychiatric evaluation. Mm -hmm. His lawyers told him not to do it. And their reasoning was with that new legislation, if he, if, depending on how the judge felt, 
he possibly could have been put in a psychiatric hospital the rest of his life. But I still, I don't know that that was the right decision by the lawyers. And again, I'm most definitely not a lawyer as we've seen, but that also seems wrong. So I, I wonder if they just, I don't know, there weren't enough details on that, but I don't know. I and think it's a good question. Let me be clear. I am not defending this no, man. No, I know. I'm not saying he should be let out of prison. I am just saying the law was what it was when he did what mm-hmm. what he did. The sentence exactly. they were able to give him, you know, you can't you can't just start putting ginormous sentences on him for yeah. other minor crimes to compensate for laws that weren't in existence when he committed the crimes that he did. So that is the entire crux of the rest of this case is that people felt he was not properly punished for his crimes, mm-hmm. which again, I'm with Colby. I agree with that, but I'm also like, that was not the law just cause I disagree. Like if I, it's the same case as like, if you have a father whose daughter was raped, I understand that that father would love to kill that person that did that to them. Mm-hmm. That's illegal. You cannot kill them. Right. So like, that's a law. And that's unfair. So uh, this is where I have right. an issue. Like, like, if the father got to yeah. murder that person, that would be justice served of for course. a lot of people. But of you course. can't do that right. because that right. is not right. So that's what's so so difficult about this is like you can sit here and be like, of course he deserves to be in prison the rest of his life because of this atrocious mur- these atrocious murders and the fact that he probably would do it again. But is that the law? No. It's, so that's, right. that's what's so hard about this whole thing. Um, I have one more comment. Mm. Just... It, it seems from the facts that you gave us to be a disproportionate sentence, but the judge was in the room with Craig mm. when he testified True. and you said that he got all uppity yep. and the judge can yep. certainly read his body yep. language and use his discretion yep. to sentence him appropriately. So I'm just, yeah, that's true. I'm very verklempt. I don't know how to feel. <laughs> I also, I super simplified, obviously I didn't go through the whole trial. Right, right. There's oh, yeah. so much more as we always sure. say. And this goes back to my issue that I am on one hand, like I get it. That was the law at the time. That was laws are made by people. Laws are lobbied and changed by people. At what point, like there was at one time a law that black people could not go to school. That's clearly wrong. So like, what if this is also wrong? I just have this whole issue. Laws change as we learn and grow and as science advances. And that's why there have been changes to the juvenile justice system. And that's why this is so difficult. Yes. um, Because there is no, I don't think there is a correct answer because as much as I think I'm with Colby that I just think he needs to be punished for his adult crimes i'm also with marina on the science that like he wasn't an adult at the time so it's it's there's no easy answer go back to unsolved cases this one's making me feel too many feelings <laughs> so okay so going back to the psych evaluation so he had originally been ordered to have a psych evaluation he had refused it and then he finally agreed to it um he, i think he got a year for initially being like a year tacked on for initially being in contempt of court for ignoring that. But he finally agreed. Now he went through the whole evaluation lying, not participating, not at all doing a part of it. So they basically were like, that still doesn't count. Um, so he did get contempt of court again and he went on trial for this in 1997. Now the prosecution pushed for punishment of life in prison, which I don't even need to be a lawyer to know that that is not what you get for contempt of court. No, I understand why. Um, so 
obviously the judge was like, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But instead, the judge did sentence Craig to 25 years, 10 to serve, and the remaining 15 years if Craig got into trouble or refused treatment. Mm -hmm. And the judge said, quote, I felt that to put him on hold for 25 years would be to put on hold a many, many things. And maybe in that time, some form of treatment could be found. So he's, of course, referring to putting on hold the possibility of Craig being released in the public and killing again. So I thought that was a really nice quote, actually, because he's basically saying, like, I recognize he's a danger. I'm not going to I know that this is not a murder trial. I mean, I'm putting words, obviously, in the judge's mouth, but I know this isn't a murder trial and I'm certainly not going to put him in jail for the rest of his life for contempt of court. However, I know that, you know, there's um, there's concern here and I'm hoping that he can be treated and helped. Um, the 25 years is a lot too, but mm-hmm. he's refusing to do the psychological testing, yes. which will probably show that he's a danger to society exactly. and shouldn't be released. Exactly. So, yep. you know, he's, he's punishing him accordingly. Yep. So that's how it went for the next 10, 15 years of just continual charges and continually looking to add things and add jail time. Um, so without the ability to just put Craig away for life as punishment for murder, uh, the prosecutors continually just found ways to keep him in jail, but Craig made it really, really easy. Like Mm, this is not, they weren't like, they weren't like, Oh, you have a pencil. You can't have that. Um, no, in October, 1998, seven more years were added to Craig's sentence for assaulting a correctional officer in February, 1999. And again, in 2001, Craig was sentenced to a total of four more years for, again, verbally and physically assaulting correctional officers. Okay, I mean, stop doing that. L- literally. That's why, like, at some point, I'm like, all right, I get it. If you did nothing and you kept getting sentences for, like, contempt of court, even that, you did something. I get feeling persecuted. However, stop doing things that, you know, Well, that's you why I asked persecuted. you the eight-year sentence in the beginning. Yeah. Like, did he punch him? Because, again, we all know I have a very special place in my heart of for course. COs and DOC professionals. Yeah. But... What eight, about ABC? <laughs> eight years seems like yeah. a lot for yelling exactly. at a CO. But exactly. Yeah, if he's, but then if it's he's assaulting continuum. them, mm-hmm. yeah. So he was transferred to Florida. He had been up in Rhode Island. He was transferred to Florida in 2009 due to his violent nature. And it was shortly after that that he had a fight with an inmate. When a guard tried to stop the fight, Craig stabbed him. The in, the officer. See, guys, not a good person. No. Bad, bad person. Nope. There is no hope for rehabilitation no. for this human yeah, being. Yeah, well, we're nope. done now. We're well out of the juvenile. Yes. He definitely exactly. knows right from wrong. Yep. So. so he's transferred again at this point, still in Florida. Um, and in 2017, again, attacked another inmate. Craig says this is because he thought the inmate was poisoning his food. Mm-hmm. So he stabbed him with a shank right that's the word mm-hmm. oh, yeah. I, I could not sound Do you make it less. from a toothbrush i i don't you know i didn't ask anything um, paper clips ooh. binder clips toothbrushes oh. yeah so so anyway he nearly killed the inmate and at trial for this in 2019 he received an additional 25 years and is not eligible for parole until 2044 when he will be 70 years old okay I just picture the prosecutors setting an alarm in their calendar app, like setting a reminder, <laughs> like uh, Craig Price release date. Make sure, make sure he does something bad and he gets more time. Seriously, and I don't think they have to look far now. Again, I I think like there are, especially in the beginning, I read some things when he said he would snuff out the officer. Like that's pretty common for people to say. So 
I would agree in the beginning, it was pretty aggressive sentencing for what is probably pretty normal crimes. But, um, but I think he does continue this. Ha- I think happens all the time that you have people in jail who commit additional crimes while in jail and get tacked onto their sentence. Um, early in his incarceration, he was a great inmate. So this was back when he was in the training facility, when he was a juvenile, he actually got like special privileges. He was like, had a bunch of freedom and all that because he was such a good um, a model prisoner. So that's the case. Um, I don't have any additional details other than my own thoughts. And I think I have expressed some of them throughout this that I, I mean, I think I touched very briefly on the sexual abuse. I didn't find a lot of details and I actually really only found it in like one or two places. So um, I think even if that happened, maybe it created this like anger and need for power over women, maybe. Um, but I just, I don't, I don't know what would possess someone to commit those kinds of murders that are not like a reaction. Like that Mm -hmm. is, I sought out, even if he went in to go steal something or something like that, like, like originally was said, I just, I don't know what would cause that. I feel like if he ever really seriously answered the psychiatric evaluation Mm -hmm. questions, he would have been diagnosed with antisocial personality Mm -hmm. disorder. Mm -hmm. Um, because and some people probably know that as being a sociopath, mm, yep. um, but I'm reading. So then, what are the seven symptoms of being a sociopath? Lack of empathy for others. Yep, got it in spades. Impulsive behavior. I just yep. went in and then I yep. just started stabbing her. Attempting to control others with threats or aggression. All of the COs. Yeah, using actually. intelligence, charm, or charisma to yes. manipulate others. He had special privileges in the juvenile yep. facility. He yep. was not a good kid. He was just smart enough to know he oh, could I manipulate so. people into yeah. getting what he wants. Not learning from mistakes or punishment very clearly has learned nothing yep. lying for personal gain he lied on the stand and said everybody else was yep. the liar yep. and showing a tendency uh for physical violence and fights yeah that one's don't obvious. need any examples yeah. for yep. that one yeah i i think so and i i actually also agree that i i wish we had a clear psychiatric evaluation for that reason i think it would be interesting um <laughs> to what we always say but yeah i mean i think whatever the exact motive and like despite the controversy around the juveniles and adults uh trying him as a juvenile or versus an adult it's safe to say i think although i don't know now that he belongs behind bars but i don't know what do you guys think <laughs> i know how colby thinks you know i'm having a really i know really hard time with it i i just i'm very very concerned about the cold-blooded nature yeah. of his behavior at the ages of 13 and 15 and yeah like I said, science has shown, but I know. there are always exceptions to the rules. And that's why a lot of that legislation still allows you to consider the circumstances right. of the crime. Like this is not a bad decision. And you made I, it twice. Yeah. You did yes, it at age 13 that's exactly it. and then you did it again. Yep. Yep. Um, the, the assaults in prison, I, I, I don't know. It, it does show that he continues to be a bad dude, but you have to imagine at some point he's just losing hope and now he has nothing to lose. He's like, no matter what I do, they're going to keep me behind bars. Like they could murder someone and, and they can't get any more time, you know? So can't get any more time, but your time could get worse. They could just put you in solitary confinement away from every other person and the air, the fresh air. (laughs) I personally would prefer that if I ever found myself in jail or or prison. Uh, I don't want, I'm too scared of everyone. I would like to be in, solitary guys I, I would run prison i would yeah. run female prison yeah, yes i would thrive run. in this environment yes yeah they they throw tampons and pads at each other that's cool 
I can throw. I'm pretty good. Oh my gosh. I used to play left field. I can throw the ball <laughs> on the home plate. See, I do okay because I would just edit people's appellate briefs and I would help them write motions oh. and I would I would trade my legal services for soups. See, I have nothing. <laughs> you can crochet. You can crochet. be my wife. You think they're going to give me a crochet hook in prison? I mean, it's not sharp. You'll get special privileges because you'll be a model inmate. So, of course, you'll get it. You'll okay. make Afghans for the COs. Catherine Knight couldn't knit and crochet. Why can't you? Yeah. yeah. That's what I'm saying. You are more stable than Catherine Knight. <laughs> oh, that's the nicest thing you've ever said to me. <laughs> so, guys, that was the case of Craig Price. So, I want to give a big shout out to our gremlin who suggested this. Um, I appreciate it. It is, again, it, anytime we do the gremlin suggestions, I'm really, I'm always... Anytime we do a case, I'm always trying to think about the people in this, but a gremlin suggestion always brings me back to like my coworker went to school with him, knew him. Um, and that kind of makes it a little more real. So big shout out to that. I'm mad um, at that coworker him. though, yeah. because now I have to live with knowing these things yes. <laughs> and they make yes. me so angry. I know. Can't unknow them. I, I cannot unknow them. And I would like to know what everyone thinks, because I do think this is very controversial, um, and there's so much more. Again, we only cover so much in the podcast, but there's so much more underneath all of this, so I'd love to hear what people have to say and what your thoughts are. Um, it's a tough one. It's a tough yeah. one. Um, so the way to do that, if you aren't already, make sure that you follow us on Instagram at Grim Crime Podcast, and on Facebook, just search Grim colon a true crime podcast. Not only do we post photos from each case, but we share funny reels. Shout out to Marina for getting those mm -hmm. going and memes and other things. And most importantly, info about merch. So thanks for those who had responded on, at least at this point, our latest post on merch. More to come on that. Um, and by the fact that you're hearing this, you've obviously found a way to listen to us. But just know that we're on just about every platform. We did recently add Samsung podcasts and we're working towards getting on YouTube. More to come on that. If there are other places you prefer to listen to podcasts and we're not there, let us know. There's so many platforms. We think we're everywhere, but I don't know. Guys, we all have iPhones. We don't know what else exists yeah. out there. <laughs> <Sorry>. What's a <laughs> Samsung? Um, yeah, you Android people. Um, we love you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so you can let us know about that either on the Instagram or Facebook, but you can also send us an email at grimcrimepodcast at gmail.com. And that's also where you can send case suggestions, which we clearly take. Uh, or you can DM us. We respond everywhere. As you can tell by our last few episodes, we are definitely into the gremlin suggestions. Mm -hmm. And you know we ask every time, but I'll give the plug anyway. Please rate us. And if you're feeling extra generous, share our stuff. The more reach we have, the more we can build this podcast for you. Mm -hmm. So thanks for being here. And remember, listen, learn, and stay alive till next time because the future is grim. Mm -hmm.